Hey, I, I just want to say how just absolutely proud I am that you're here tonight. You didn't get here accidentally. You made a choice. Uh, you decided not to watch TV. You made arrangements for kids. You came here on purpose, and you did that so that you could dig further and deeper into God's Word. And I just want to say I think that is absolutely cool. And I honor you, I honor you, I honor you. And as your pastor, I'm proud of you uh, for making that commitment. And I hope you'll leave here every single Tuesday night feeling like that time was well spent and that God's word has seeped a little bit deeper uh, into your heart because you made this investment. So I'm going to make my promise to you is to come prepared and ready to do my very best to break God's word accurately and uh, proficiently for you so that we walk away from this place just better able to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. We're going to, I got to unpack a few things. It's first week. So just kind of getting us all ready to go for this semester and uh, up to speed. So here's some announcements that they gave me and asked me to uh, run through for you. And by the way, you're going to figure out that I actually need glasses on Sunday morning. They print my verses really, really big. Don't tell anybody that, uh, but we weren't going to be able to pull that off for the mind. So, you know, a secret that nobody else knows, um, First off, we need some help to help make the mine happen, which means that we've got some openings right now just in kind of some of the more technical areas like helping us uh, do the switchers and get things up on screen and words in the right places at the right time. Uh, And even if you don't have background, they are saying, hey, they will train you. They will help you. It's not that complicated. It just involves being faithful and willing. So they have that. And then there are also some non-technical jobs such as greeters and info booth attendants. And uh, you're going to find out in a moment, Mike Runners. And then uh, we're trying to build a prayer team. Our absolute heart is, is that this moment together is bathed in prayer. And then the other thing that's cool is, is that the prayer team is saying that they are going to commit to pray specifically for this group's needs, apart from what your staff does every single Tuesday. So you're going to have the opportunity to put in prayer requests here on Tuesday nights. And another prayer team is going to take those and pray for all of those individually for you. And a matter of fact, that is the next part, which is if you have prayer requests or if you have suggestions and all of the suggestions I'm being told involve positive comments about how wonderful Pastor Lynn is. But uh, if you have prayer requests or if you have suggestions, all you have to do is hit the info booth on your way out. Put those down. Let us know. And I'm being silly, but we really do want to hear from you, hear what's going on in your hearts, because at the end of the day, this is your Bible study. So we really do welcome comments, even if they're not positive, but couched in really nice words. Okay, so uh, you guys can do that. And then uh, the other thing is we're going to ask you to consider signing up for the mine email so that we can keep you posted and let you know exactly what's going on in here. So here's what we're going to ask you to do tonight. Every one of you should have gotten one of these white cards. So you're going to make a choice in just a second. We're going to ask everybody to put your name on here. Let me tell you why we're asking you to do that. If you've been around here for any time at all, you know that we're in the middle of a thing called three to be, which is absolutely about trying to help our church be better in maturity. And one of the things that we're doing is we are tracking ourselves. We're saying how many adults are getting to Bible studies? How many adults are getting to small groups? How many adults are getting to women's and men's ministry events? And so we're trying to be accurate in that so we can, at the end of the year, say, hey, we either got better at this or we didn't get better at this and we better try harder next time. So 
you're going to help us do that. So I'm just going to ask everybody to put your name on here. Now, the second part is, if you want the emails, and if you want us to have the capacity to contact you and keep you updated, then you're going to put your email address on there. If you don't, then that's a real easy sign to us, thanks, but no thanks. Okay? And you're just letting us know that you were here so we can do a good job of tracking the whole three to be thing. Okay, so please, 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 we're probably going to ask you to do this for about the next three weeks for sure to be sure we've got everybody in, so we'll do it every single time for a couple weeks together. All right, the other thing is we get ready to start, I, my style is a little different than what we've been doing here in here in the past, and part of that is I love interaction. Now, here's the deal, you need, I, I get it, I'm not socially dense, this is not the best interactive room, it's big and it's spread out, so one of the things I'm going to ask you to consider Okay, if we've got some Baptist in the room, it's okay. You don't have to do this. But I'm going to ask you to consider in succeeding weeks that you would make your way as, you know, a little, as close as you feel comfortable in the front because what that's going to do, it's going to allow us to have conversation and interact back and forth. If you just can't handle that, you can sit in the back. We'll pray for you. It's all right. But um, I will be better. You're going to help me be a better teacher if I can get a sense of what's going on in your heart, what God is doing with you, what questions you've got. It's just going to take us to a different level in the study. The other part is, is that, again, a little different. You're going to have the capacity to raise your hand and say, wait a minute, you just blew past something. I didn't get that. How did, what does that? And we'll stop and we'll go. We've got some mic runners who are going to run up to you with a microphone so that you can ask your question. Or if you're just loud, uh, you can yell it, uh, and that's okay, and we'll go that way. Now, the other part is this. There may come a moment that you ask an amazing question, but it will take a long time to unpack. And if you do that, I reserve the right to say, come see me afterwards, and we'll sit and talk, and we'll get your question done. But we're not going to take all that time in the big room together, okay? And so I may on occasion just go, man, a great question. Come to me afterwards. We'll unpack that together. Okay, and we'll do that. But I'm inviting, and I want your input and feedback on the deal. If we blow past something, stop us, okay? Because this is about learning the word together. The other thing is, is that I like to have somebody who um, reads scripture for us. And there was a microphone up here, but I think Brian took it. Can someone grab a microphone for a reader for us? Okay, he ran off with that. So here's what's going to happen. In just a minute, I'm going to ask someone to volunteer to be a reader. I'll ask that every week for the next few weeks. You'll read, and then I will rudely interrupt you. I will just go, stop, and then we'll talk about that, and then you'll read again. Thank you. You are the man. Okay, so is anybody tonight brave enough to do, just to read Scripture for us and let me rudely interrupt them? Who is willing to do that? You have to be more than nine. Okay, all right, we're on. Here you go. Okay, and there it is, and I'm just, in a minute, we're going to start. Many of you probably in the room already heard, we're going to do 1 Corinthians together. Let me tell you why we're doing 1 Corinthians, because the 1 Corinthian church is messed up. It is probably the worst church in the entire New Testament, and you're going to figure that out. Yeah, hands up already. Sure. Oh, you know what? Um... You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually have to start grading your homework first to find out if you're ready for more. So, yeah. You know, I, I just figure every man in the room, you owe me big time, but that's all right. Um, I, I've got to be the best man's pastor uh, ever, but that's okay. All right, so here's the deal on 1 Corinthians. 
the cool part about getting involved with a church that's messed up is this, that they're going to get through and dig through so much muck that you and I are going to learn a ton of Bible by their mistakes. And we're going to learn an awful lot about how God wants us to live by not doing what they did. And therefore, it becomes just this unbelievably powerful book for you and I to go through together, especially to really sink our teeth uh, into Scripture. The other thing that's going to happen uh, for the first couple nights together, we're going to stop at big words all the time. And here's why. One of the biggest mistakes you and I make in Scripture is we have learned Bible words and we don't know what they really, really mean. And knowing the meaning of that word absolutely changes our understanding of Scripture. So we're going to stop at big words. We're going to figure big words out. We're not going to, we're, and we're going to all of a sudden have Scripture come alive because we get what it means and what it says. So we'll do that together tonight too. Okay, so here we go. Let's start in a word of prayer. And then let's just dig into 1 Corinthians together. Dear Lord Jesus, I, uh, I just come before you tonight. Thank you so much for these that have come out and are here to learn your word. God, would you guide me? Would you help me to be absolutely accurate uh, to Scripture, to speak only those things which are true of your heart and what you were saying here? And in those moments when personal opinion comes in, just to have the integrity to say, you know what, this is the best I know and understand uh, that particular passage. But God, at the end of the day, would you honor this time? Would you cause us to be students of the word and to be able to live more vibrantly for you because we took this time uh, together? And that we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start with our reader. And uh, you're going to start 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Is this on? Okay. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, and our brothers, Sosthenes? Sosthenes? Yeah, that was exactly right. Okay. (laughs) All right, so first big word, apostle. What's an apostle? Follower. All right, sort of. All right, so let me ask it differently. What does it take to be an apostle? What are the qualifications of an apostle? And here's why I'm asking you, is because you and I have run into people who've said, this is apostle so-and-so, or the first apostolic church. So let me ask you a question. What does it take to be an apostle? Go ahead, yell. Yeah. Okay, the original 12 end up being the apostles. In other words, in the original 12, all of them got that title of apostle. But there are also some other people who end up getting that title. Anybody remember who? Okay, so we'll, we'll come back to you. She knows what an apostle is, but not who. Who else got to be an apostle? Oh, we don't know yet? Okay. Paul gets to be an apostle, and then also, if you remember in Acts chapter 1, Matthias gets to be an apostle. Remember, he was chosen. As a matter of fact, let's grab our Bibles and go over there real quick. Go over to the book of Acts. So here's the question. What does it take to be an apostle? Acts chapter 1. We'll start out in about verse 15. Okay, so here, let's see if we can answer the question before we get there. Anybody got a sense of what are the qualifications? What are the qualifications? You have to be called by God. Okay, so we said it has to be a first-hand account. We had to have been around during the ministry of Christ. Is that what we're saying? Okay. Anything else? Had to have seen the ministry of Christ. 
And he had to witness the crucifixion. Had to witness the crucifixion, and more importantly, that he returned. Okay. His resurrection. The what? Resurrection. The resurrection. Okay. And here's what you're going to find in Scripture: there is nobody called an apostle who is not a first-hand witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? It is one of the absolute qualifications of being an apostle. You had to be called by Jesus in person. You had to have a knowledge or a first-hand experience of his life and ministry. And you had to have been a witness to the resurrected Christ. Nobody else, nobody outside of those qualifications is ever in Scripture called an apostle. Matter of fact, let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 15. And I'll read this for you. Here's what it says. It says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who was a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number, and he shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, and his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Who said the Bible wasn't cool? And everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called uh, that field in the language Atikama, which is field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Now verse 21. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his what? Resurrection. And he just told you the qualifications of an apostle. Now, how does Paul get into this? Because Paul wasn't one of the original 12 and he's he's not there, apparently, hanging out during Jesus' ministry. How does he get in? Matter of fact, Paul's going to come back later and say, I am an apostle born out of due time. When does Paul become an apostle? He sees Jesus on the road to Damascus. Remember this moment? He's actually heading to go persecute and kill Christians for the name of, of, for having believed on Jesus Christ. Paul believes this whole Christian thing is a cult and and they're just ruining Judaism. And in, he's a Pharisee and, and, part of the Sanhedrin, and he's going down to kill Christians. And on his way, on his road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him, post-resurrection Jesus, and says to him these words, Paul, Paul, why are you kicking against the pricks? Why is thou persecuting me? And he says, who are you? And Jesus says, it's me, Jesus Christ. And so Paul becomes the witness of a resurrected Jesus. Matter of fact, as he goes to do his ministry, he'll say to his fellow countrymen, what, what could I say? I saw the resurrected Jesus. What do you do with that? Now, here's why we took the time to do that. If that's true, if the qualifications, again, for an apostle are you had to have seen the ministry of Christ, you had to be a witness to the resurrection, you had to be called by Christ in person, is it possible to be an apostle today? Yes, no. No. And here's why that's a big deal. Because you're going to find within the groups that claim apostolic leadership, they will claim that they can speak with the authority of God and that they can actually add something to Scripture because they are apostolic. 
And the answer is, no, you're not. No, you're not. Because there is no apostle who did not witness the life of Jesus Christ and who was not called by Jesus in person and who did not witness the resurrection or the resurrected Jesus Christ. It is impossible to be an apostle today. Okay? We're good? We're happy? All right, let's keep going. All right, so back to rudely interrupting. Read again. We're going back to 1 Corinthians. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so stop. Sanctified. Bible word. What is sanctified? Set apart. So you just gave me the good Bible answer. What does that mean? Okay, and then Rick, I, I, I timed out on my pad and I'm probably going to write. So, oh, there we are. Yes? No? No, we're timed out. So I need some help. All right, so what does set apart mean? What does sanctified mean? What's the difference between being sanctified and saved? That's a good question. Anybody want to guess? Okay, being saved is something that happens in that moment when I actually believe in Jesus Christ and Christ does in us in that moment. Okay, and sanctified is that continuous work in my life. Sanctified, you ready for this? Is growing up in Jesus. And the more grown up you get, you ready? The more set apart you are, the more sanctified you are. So all that big word simply means is, are you growing up? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you becoming more mature? Ready? More set apart from this world. That's what sanctified means. Okay? So next time you read through it, don't just not blow through the word. The word means growing up, set apart in our lives from the old way of living. Okay, so let's keep going. Their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so again, here we go, right? Grace. What is grace? How many people are going, oh my goodness, word study, you're killing me. All right, grace. Okay, because I'm promising you this is going to help. Grace. What is grace? Huh? Unmerited favor. You guys have got all the good Bible answers. I love that. What, all right, so what does unmerited favor mean? I don't deserve it, but God gave it to me anyways. That's all grace is. Okay? So big Bible word just became, all it is, I didn't discern it, deserve it. He gave it to me anyways. What's another thing for, I didn't deserve it, somebody gave it to me. What's that called? A gift. It's just a gift. You didn't earn it. It's not a paycheck. It's a gift. Now, here's why that's a big deal, guys. Because over and over and over again, Ephesians chapter 5 especially is going to say, you have been saved by... Grace. It is not a work that you have done. It is a gift from God. Which automatically, here, here's, the, here's the important part of that, disqualifies every world religion. Because every world religion, every, are you ready for this? Every man-made religion is a set of rules. It's why you and I as Christians can confidently look at someone and say, look, this isn't a religious thing. Because religion is always man-made rules that say, if you do these 12 things, you get to go to heaven. But if that's the case, if it's about doing 12 things, then you would be earning it. 
It wouldn't be a gift and it wouldn't be grace. And so the minute you and I can nail down that grace is always a gift, you and I will never, ever, ever again be confused by religion. Because it is this very fact that changes the discussion and sets you and I apart and begins you and I talking about relationships and not religiosity. You and I received a gift the day we became Christians. And you and I did absolutely nothing except receive grace in that moment. And don't let anybody tell you different and don't let anybody bring you under laws and rules in order to make it to heaven. Let me ask you a question then. If this isn't about laws and rules, and yet Scripture's got a lot of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of things. Scripture says do this and don't do this. But I just told you, those laws and rules don't get you to heaven. Then why obey them? Why would you and I ever... I mean, because some of these rules are hard. How many of you agree? Some of these rules are pretty darn hard. Some of these are confusing. I've got to be honest. I look at a few of them and I go, I'm, I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say to God, God, I, why, why that one? So if you and I are not earning our way to heaven and if you and I aren't getting to heaven quicker because we follow the... Why are we obeying these rules? Okay, so here's what we said. We said we're being sanctified. In other words, we're getting closer and closer and closer to what Christ wants us to do. Okay? Is it working? We're there? All right. There we look at that. Years of seminary to be able to draw like that. Okay? So, again, real quick. Being saved is a moment... That's where we were saved. Sanctification is the steps we take moving along the way to be like Jesus. There you go. I wasn't going to try and draw Jesus. That would have been bad. So to be like Jesus, we just said, hey, the reason we follow the rules is because we're trying to move further in maturity. What if I don't want to be mature? What if being mature stinks? What if being mature is hard? Why do I do it? Because I love Jesus. See, guys, here's the deal at the end of the day, and this is the thing that's going to be the defining moment for all of us, is you and I are going to have to decide somewhere along the way. Do I love Jesus? Or do I love me more? Because that will end up ultimately answering the sanctification question. And how far you and I get. And when you and I get to that moment that we say, Jesus is Lord, and I will obey Him, not because it makes sense, not because it's fun, not because it's easy. I'll obey Him because I love Him. It changes all the answers for us. You stop complaining about the rules. You stop saying, I'm not going to do that until I understand it. You simply say, my Lord asked. So I don't date that type of guy. I don't handle my money that way. I tell the truth at work even when it hurts. Because it's not up for debate. I love my Lord. And I follow Him because I love Him. Okay? Alright, so back to reading. I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Okay, so let's stop for a second. It says you have been enriched in every single way. What does that mean? 
that you and I have been enriched in every way in Jesus Christ. I have everything I need. Okay? I've been given a purpose in my life. You have been enriched in every way. What does that mean? Huh? We have access to God. I'm not sure that's what this is saying, but that's absolutely biblically. Okay. All right. I have access. I have a helper. I have a teacher. Forgiveness. What? He lives through us. He equips us. Okay. Love your God with all your mind, all your soul, all your heart. I've been adopted into the family. Huh? Reachable and teachable. Holy blessed. Here's the answer. You're all right. Because what he's saying in this moment is he says, you have been enriched in every way. He is saying there is not one part of your life that when you let Jesus touch it, isn't better for having known Jesus Christ. Now that's terrifying for us because let's just be honest. Some of us, many of us, most of us have areas of our life that we're not sure we want Jesus to touch. And yet he says here, you need to get, you are enriched in every way and there is no part of your life that when you let Jesus in that part of your life isn't blessed for His presence. So whether that's your work or whether that's your marriage or whether that's your parent, there is no part of your life that Jesus Christ does not ultimately enrich your life. The crazy part is is that many of us who follow Christ still haven't figured that part out. And we are terrified for Jesus to touch certain parts of our lives. Because we think... He'd run it. If we ever brought our, our language under control of God, I mean, we just wouldn't be as cool anymore. Or, or if, if, if we let God really be the Lord of our business life, we wouldn't make as much money as we did before. And we're just terrified. I mean, if, if we actually let God monitor what we watched on TV, well, and yet Scripture says, you are enriched in every way. When you let Jesus have that part of your life. There was a skit that was a lot. It's an old school skit. But it was this house. And every single room represented something. The living room just kind of represented life out, you know, as you lived in front of other people. It was the living room. And then there was um, the bedroom. And there was the closet. And, and the skit unfolded as Jesus came up and walked to each door of each room and said to the owner of the house, Can I go in there? And the drama of this was is that the owner just had rooms that they said, I, I, don't, I just, Jesus, I don't want you in that room of my life. You might ruin that part of my life. This whole thing changes when you and I figure out what Paul just said. You and I are enriched in every way, in every room, when Jesus gets in there. So I'm just going to encourage you tonight if you're sitting and you go, you know, I, I, if I were honest, i got a couple rooms that I've just kind of said to God, I'm not ready yet. And, you know, maybe, maybe some other time and maybe when I get further in my walk, I would consider letting you peek into that room. 
And can I just say to you, my brother or my sister, you're crazy. You are absolutely missing the blessing of God in your life in every single room you have kept Him out of. You are enriched in every way in Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's keep reading. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Okay, so therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gifts. What does that mean? What are spiritual gifts? Can you name any of them? Administration. Okay, that's not... All right, there we go. You have to be smarter than the pad. All right, so admin. All right, and administration is just code word for what? Huh? Management Management or leadership. Okay. What other spiritual gifts? Teaching. Encouragement. Hospitality. What? Prophecy. Okay, so let's ask a real quick question. See how confused we get. What does prophecy mean? What is it? Speaking the truth. And you need to know that in the Bible, and we won't unpack it tonight, but when you see the word prophecy, 90% of the time, it's not being a prophet like you and I think of someone who's speaking Scripture, although that clearly happens in Scripture. But 90% of the time, it simply means telling the truth. How many of you have ever met one of those people that, I mean, they'll be there watching TV and they're yelling at the TV. That's wrong! That's wrong! I need to write a letter. Anyone married to one of those people? Okay. That, they probably have the gift of prophecy. And here's what prophets do. Prophets, prophets immediately react, especially to sin. And they feel compelled to go say something about it. They just, they just feel they have to tell you, you're wrong. Okay? And uh, a lot of times it doesn't have a whole lot of grace. And that's why you need people with the gift of mercy to come clean up their mess behind them. Okay? So gift of mercy. Okay? Empathy. I, I'm going to put empathy under the gift of mercy. Because it's really not a stand. It, it, it's, it's a function of the gift of mercy. Any others you can think about there for your head? Service. Okay. Huh? Discernment. What's another word we would use for discernment? Wisdom. Uh, these are people that have an unbelievable ability to make wise decisions based on things that they have never had experience with before. God gives them just absolute insight and discernment. Okay, so let me ask you this question. We don't, we don't have them all down, but... Anybody in here got all those gifts? Anybody in here goes, dude, I, I mean, every one of them, I'm a 10. Anybody in here? Okay. All right, one person. That's good for you. We are, you are, we're now going to follow you. So now, huh? Okay, every, all right, so let's, let's talk about that. Because she said, hey, everybody has them. How many people agree with that? Everybody has all the spiritual gifts. How many agree with that? Okay, so we come on, put them up. We're going to be, we're going to be brave. It's okay to, it's okay to not have the right answer. All right, so, all right. How many say I don't think everybody has every spiritual gift? Okay, good. All right, so what does it mean? Let's go back to the passage because the majority of us in the room said, no, 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 no. Not everybody has every spiritual gift. But what did it just say in the passage? Let's go back. Verse seven. Therefore. You do not lack any spiritual gift. 
Huh? Our own lack. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to push back on you in a second. Okay. But I love your enthusiasm. All right. So if the majority of us say not everybody has every spiritual gift, but the passage just said, you do not lack any spiritual gift. How is that possible? What? They're okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And you just got the answer. He's not talking to individuals. He's talking to who? The church in Corinth. And what he's saying is, in your church, in the community of believers, you do not lack any spiritual gift. Which, guys, this is important. And here, here is the answer. Okay, so I'll just toss it out there. You don't. We don't have all the spiritual gifts in one person, which is why we need each other. And I'm just going to say real honest, you guys, if you haven't figured out yet, I've got the gift of prophecy. I'm a guy, I sit in the room and I see something, I feel like I have to say something when something's wrong. And matter of fact, if you sin, I feel responsible for your sin. I, I feel, how did that happen? How did one of our people sin? Oh my goodness, that must be my fault. Okay, gift of prophecy. Prophets always feel like your sin is their fault. Okay, so, but the truth is, sometimes I have the ability to be a little over the top and say things a little too directly. And one thing I don't have a whole lot of, mercy. See, because I'm a prophet, I go, it's probably your own fault. (laughs) You probably made a dumb decision somewhere and that's why it happened to you. And the reality is this church would be a pretty tough church if there weren't people in the room with mercy going, oh, that's just Lynn. That's just Lynn. It's okay. And coming behind and loving on people. And the reality is none of us is okay by themselves. Every one of us needs the rest of the body because some of us are hands, the Bible says. Some of us are feet. Some of us are heads. We need each other, which is why the next time someone comes to you and says, you know what, I don't need to go to church. You go, you are dumb. You are dumb. There is, there, because there is nobody who is equipped to do this journey for Jesus by themselves and it's why he made the church and it's why he gave us spiritual gifts now here's what i think our sisters were trying to say over there and there's a part of what they were saying that is right and here's what that is here's the irony we don't have every spiritual gift and yet if you read scripture for a while here's what you're going to discover god is going to require all of us to have functionality in every one of the gifts Doesn't he say to everybody, speak the truth? Even if you're not a prophet, speak the truth. Doesn't he say to everybody, be merciful to one another, even if you don't have the gift of mercy? So the reality is, every one of us is called to at least be functional in every one of these areas. But there will be the gift. So here's the best way I can describe this. All of us have to do the gifts, but you will have your big G gift in your life. You will have that thing which is your first foot forward is the thing that God most specifically uses you and involves you in ministry in. And people will affirm it. People go, man, you you just you are the best administrator I've ever seen. You just have leadership oozing out of your pores. You'll have people go and say, when you teach... Scripture comes alive. And when Fred teaches, you know, because doesn't have the gift of teaching. Okay? Nice guy, but no gift of teaching. So, 
people will begin to affirm it when you have that big G gift. And that big G gift actually grows as you bring it into submission and subjection to Jesus Christ on the deal. But every one of us is going to get asked to function. So here's the deal. Someone says, hey, I've got the gift of generosity. Well, does that mean none of the rest of us have to give? No, we all have to be functional in giving. But there will be some who just go, wow, this is the coolest thing I do, is give and share with God's people. This, is, this just fills my heart. The rest of us are going, oh, crumb, time to give again. But you still got to do it because we have to be functional in all the gifts. Does that make sense? Yes? And they nodded their heads? Okay. Okay. And no one has enough gifts to do this by themselves. You and I need each other. It's called the church. Okay? All right. And then the next phrase there says, okay, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gifts, verse 7, as you eagerly wait for the Lord Christ to be revealed. What does that mean? What does he mean, the Lord Christ to be revealed? What's he talking about? The coming of Christ. What is the coming of Christ? You guys are scared. (laughs) Okay, when Jesus comes down from heaven to grab us and he takes us to Disneyland, the rapture. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Is the rapture different than the second coming? How? Okay. Jesus doesn't actually come during the rapture. He does come to earth in the second coming. Okay? When Jesus came in the first coming, when was that? When he came to earth, did his ministry. He physically came to earth. Okay? So let's call this the first coming. Okay? All right. And after Jesus left and went to heaven, you and I are living in a period of time called what? Anybody know? The church age, which is why we're supposed to go to church. Okay? Bible says Jesus loved the church and gave his life for it. This is the church age. And here's, here's what you got to get, guys. The vehicle in which Jesus and God are doing, the number one vehicle, I should say, the number one vehicle in which God does ministry on the earth right now. You ready? The church. The church. The church is the hope of the world. If the world is ever going to figure out God, if it's ever going to figure out Jesus Christ, it's not going to be any other organization. It's not going to be Red Cross. It's not going to be Food for the Hungry. Those are all good organizations. But the hope of the world is the church. You and I, the church, have been given the assignment to absolutely be the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, to be little Jesuses walking around this world and to affect this world as if we were Jesus Himself walking through it. You and I, the church, are the only hope this world has. And if you and I ever stop being the church, if we become something else, then this world is in trouble. Because you and I are the hope of the world. Okay? This is the church age. The church age is going to end when? Rapture. Because what happens in the rapture? Anybody know? You and I get taken out of this world. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. You and I are caught up like a thief in the night, Scripture says. Jesus comes and snatches away the church. 
we're going to draw the rapture, okay? And here's what you need to know. The word rapture does not appear in Scripture. It doesn't happen. It's a theological term that simply is Latin for caught up, okay? If you're not going to find the word rapture in the Bible. But it is this moment of Jesus catching us in the clouds. Here's how do you and